Yo, yo, welcome to another edition of the Forum Club. I'm your co-host, Yovan Buha, joined as always by Bill Oram and Anthony Slater. Uh, we had a game last night. The Lakers fell to the Warriors 121 to 114 in their season opener at Staples Center. The stars were out, uh, and the stars were out on both ends in terms of Anthony Davis and LeBron James, uh, both putting up 30 plus points. Steph Curry had a triple double. Uh, but let's start with you, Bill. What did you take away from this game? I know there's going to be a lot of overreaction on both sides. The Warriors are contenders, the Lakers are pretenders. The rust fit is awful. Uh, where do we start here? What's your first takeaway from this game? Well, my first thought is uh, is coming to realize just how good Nemanja Bialica could be for this Warriors team. Um, oh, was, baby. what that was, a, I, <laughs> On the forum club, this is where we're going first. I can't believe <laughs> no, I this. Mean, I, I mean, listen, uh, there's, there's one takeaway from this game. Until we see Russell Westbrook make sense next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis... The, the takeaway is that he so far doesn't make sense next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. He was tentative. Um, he was uh, too um, passive when he was in attack. And then when he didn't have the ball in his hands, he just hung out in the corner like um, like he was one of those fans in the lower bowl trying to get close to Adele, but not too close that security was going to come and, like, and push them away. Like, that was Russ. He was, like, sort of in the game if he didn't have the ball. And, uh, and Slater, we've talked about this before, you know, with – for the Lakers to, if you're going to trade for Russell Westbrook, you need Russell to be himself. You need him to be the same, um, the same, you know, domineering player that he has been, that has made him, um, such a, you know, force for so long. And, you know, Frank Vogel said last night of all the new guys on the team, no one's going to have a, you know, a higher learning curve or have more adjustments to make than Russ. Um, you know, because he's never played with two guys, the caliber of LeBron and AD, um, and so, I mean, that was the thing last night. Everybody said is Russ needed to be looking for his own shot more. He needed to be more aggressive. Um, but he also needs to find ways to be more impactful off the ball. And this is all stuff we sort of anticipated. But seeing it, you know, in, in uh, <clears throat> you know, on color television last night uh, was, a, uh, was a little bit eye-opening. And also seeing how hard Russ was on himself was pretty staggering to me as well. Slater, again, you've been around that a lot, so maybe not as big of a deal to you, but um, he knew he wasn't very good, and I'm just really curious to see when that's going to change and when he's going to become good, assuming uh, we get that at some point consistently at, in the season. Yeah, this isn't new to Russell Westbrook, like playing with star teammates. Um, you know, I mean, he was once on the same team as Kevin Durant and James Harden at the same okay, time. Get, 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 yeah, get out of here. Okay, get out of here with that. Like, yes, that's true, but like, but like, we're talking about completely different stages of their careers. Whereas LeBron James is, you know, one super ball dominant. You know, led the league in assists two years ago. Um, you know, greatest player of all time conversation. And AD, you know, you know, MVP candidate now. You know, when Russ was with James Harden and KD. Everybody was at a different stage in their career than what than what is happening here in Los Angeles. So I mean, in terms of like start playing with star teammates, of course, but like you know, in terms of like figuring out how to fit with those guys, it didn't really work with Harden. That's why he went to Washington, and now he's here, where it is you know where it's it, it, he's going to have to defer in a way, or he's going to have to acclimate in a way he hasn't had to. Even if you even if you say that this is similar to the Harden Durant situation, which by the way you are more of an expert on than I am, but it, it just to me it that was so long ago and they were at different stages of their careers and Russ wasn't Russ 
He wasn't the MVP, Russ. He wasn't the all-time leader in triple-doubles, Russ. Like, he has evolved I would then. say this. He was ball-dominant, Russ. The difference is, and I agree with you, the, the, the difference of the situation to me isn't Davis and LeBron are necessarily different than Durant and Harden. Obviously, yes, they're different type of players. But the difference is Russ was just better then. And I think people need to come to grips with that. I mean, Russell Westbrook couldn't finish over Jordan Poole in transition yesterday. Yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned him being hard on himself, and I think you're mostly talking about post-game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can see it in the game. And mm-hmm. and, and it was and it was deflecting, too. It was him being in transition, failing to finish over a Wiggins or a Poole, and then just landing. Clearly not a foul on the play. No, like, the, Frank Vogel wasn't arguing. LeBron James wasn't arguing. The f- crowd wasn't booing, yet Russell Westbrook is stomping over the refs, going, I got hit in the head, and I got hit on the wrist. And, like, come on, that's a foul. And after every missed layup, he was doing that. And that, to me, is him just... I mean, he's just going through it, I think, mentally right now because this is a player who has been so physically dominant. And when he used to play with with great players, even though they were different players, um, they were fine with him being high usage. I mean, somewhat, obviously. There was there was thorny moments when he had rough games. Um, but he was so good that, that he could command a game and dominate a game and there will probably be moments in the coming weeks and months he has big nights for the Lakers um, but right now I mean the, the the big problem for the Lakers is when he is you know shooting a bunch of shots or controlling a bunch of possessions he's super inefficient with it he's not scoring at all at the rim his jump shot is broken basically and he's a turnover machine and then um, the, when you go, okay, well then play like late in the game, you know, he's, he's having a very off night and LeBron was awesome, which we'll get to. Davis was good, powerful. Um, obviously you're going to run the offense through them, but Russell Westbrook's on the floor. So you're saying, Hey, take a minimized role, Russ. Like you're not going to have the ball right now, obviously, because it would be a bad decision. Well, he, that, he's, he's really detrimental to your team when he's yeah. on the side. And that's, I mean, Yovan, you could get to this, but that is a major problem. Yeah. I, I'm not really sure what they do. Right, like you, you can't reduce his minutes. Uh, I think the the off ball thing is the big thing to me because uh, going through, I went through his shots on synergy, and it's like, yeah, okay, yes, there's some stuff at the rim where you'd like to see him finish that. He had that one play where he was about to dunk the ball, just kind of lost it, then tried to play it off as if he got fouled. That uh, there were a couple times he was contested and, and just missed those shots, but. To me, it's like he, he's acting like he's this 40% three-point shooter off the ball. And if you are that, that's fine. Spot up. And when you don't have the ball, just, just hang out. But really, it's a lot of him just not moving, his defenders in the paint ignoring him. And then he catches the ball. His defender gives a half-hearted closeout. And he bricks a semi-contested wide-open three. Uh, you know, that it's just that to me is is more of the frustrating thing where like the on the ball stuff i think we've seen it his his finishing has gone up throughout the season historically especially over the past few years his, his numbers get progressively better i think russ is, is clearly a rhythm guy who i would be shocked if he's having this type of performance three months from now but there still are some macro issues here uh and that's to say nothing of his defense which continues to be uh, a bit of an issue especially when he's off the ball so i don't really know I don't want to overreact, but I also think at the same time, like these are the same problems we just saw in the preseason. None of it went away. And that was kind of my big takeaway from last night was that the Lakers team that we saw in the preseason was basically the Lakers team we saw last night. And I think their defensive effort was much better for the first three quarters. Uh, you, you saw LeBron and AD making plays that I think, you know, they can erase a lot of the mistakes and, and limitations on, especially with the perimeter group. But 
I felt, especially down that stretch of the fourth quarter, that was not a team that was on the same page, frankly, on either end. And if yeah. not for LeBron and AD, you know, the, their Herculean effort and combining for 67 points, the Lakers had been 24-2 and two in games that LeBron and AD combined for 60 points previously. Uh, they are now 24-3. and three and, and to lose this type of game with those two playing like that, I felt was a little disappointing. And, but and at the same Steph time... And Curry going 5-21. of 21. Yeah, it, it was a very winnable game. D- despite d- despite all, all that went wrong, no Lakers scored in double figures aside from LeBron and AD. Uh, they obviously had that abysmal stretch from the end of the third to the beginning of the fourth where they were outscored 22-5. to five, And that really was the game there. Uh, but to me, I, I just... I think the rust thing is naturally going to get better, but there still are some things where I'm like, I don't see how this is solved. And, and, you know, other than potentially reducing his minutes, but I don't think that's realistic. I don't think you're going to see a situation that Russ is playing less than 30 minutes a night. I just don't, I don't buy that. He needs to be a role player, but he's not good at doing role player things. That's the, it, to me, I mean, and, and maybe this is a depressing way to look at it, but do you guys remember Allen Iverson's last few years? Where it was like Grizzlies, Pistons, you know, it went from superstar Allen Iverson, who was Sixers takeover games type guy to um, Allen, you're not as good anymore. Can you kind of fit in the way, you know, Vince Carter really impressed me in his last like five, six years, the way Vince Carter just became like a really good veteran role player who would shoot the three, do some of the dirty work, play 12 minutes in one night and play 24 if he felt good. Like Westbrook to me, it seems we'll see. This can be corrected, but just the trends I see is it seems to be like his career is heading more towards how Allen Iverson's ended. And Allen Iverson remains an absolute NBA legend. Russell Westbrook will as well, but that's just what I see. And this is not just like, oh, I saw this in preseason. I, you know, you could see it in Washington a lot of time. You could see it someone in Houston. Like there's, they're like these teams. Like particularly Houston just had to completely rearrange who they were to like appease him. And once you're not as good anymore, there's going to stop being teams that are like, hey, we kind of need we're not going to rearrange who we are to fit Russell Westbrook in if this is the Russell Westbrook who exists. So we've got to put a sunnier we got to put a sunnier disposition on this just because if if what you're describing Slater is ultimately true and the Lakers just have this, you know, tragically flawed version of Russell Westbrook who can't be. Um, a championship level player, then not only is the trade a bust, but the Lakers have basically cut off their their all their limbs and their maneuvering ability to improve this team around LeBron James and Anthony Davis before LeBron becomes a free agent in 2023 and goes and signs with the Magic to play with his son. So if the Lakers are going to be a championship team. That was a tale right there. That was quite a path. If the, if the Lakers are going to be a championship team with LeBron James under the current contract, they need Russell Westbrook to figure it out one way or the other. And they need him to either embrace some of the stuff you're talking about. They need him to, you know, find a way to have an uptick as a, as, as a, as a three point shooter. Um, and you know, that's why the Lakers, you hear them like everybody else is preaching such, such patience because it's not just that they, they even, even if they, you know, are are not sure that he can do it. They need him to be able to figure out a way to do it. So um, we're going to be talking about this all season long, and we're going to be talking about this into the playoffs. I was just saying, the optimistic spin on it is, um, you know, Russell Westbrook had really good moments in Houston, and he had a really good stretch late in the year before Washington, kind of drag drag them into the play in. Um, and I think he really, you know, his first couple months last year when he was like one of the most destructive players in the league, like 
bad for his team. Well, I think a lot of that was Washington had a COVID thing. And I think, you know, Yovan, maybe you know this, but didn't he? He had like some type of like knee or, or hamstring or something that impacted who he was physically. And then, you know, he seemed to yeah. get physically better as the season went on. And he, he was finishing at the rim more. That's to me, that's the one thing he's got. He He's just not going to be an effective player if he cannot ferociously, you know, attack and finish at the rim over, you know, decent contests. And then the other thing I would say beyond that, like maybe he will get into a better physical state, uh, is the Warriors are unique to him in the way, like, they've been doing this for years. They know how to defend Russ. They know his little tricks. And, you know, there are even uh, the stories of, like, they'll tell Steph Curry to score back in the Oklahoma City days and then, like, tap Russ on the butt to, like, get him, like, fired up. Like, I got to go back. I'm going to shoot a three right in Steph's face. Um, And and the way they they sag off him off ball, they're obviously a very smart defensive team with Iguodala, Draymond out there, Steve Kerr, and, and Mike Brown running the defensive stuff. So it's, like... And, and, and what three of his first like five games essentially have been against, uh, the Warriors if we date, date back to the preseason. So there are, I, I think he's really going to benefit from bad defensive teams, um, and, and, and bad defensive guards. And so I think he'll look better just again against bad teams. That's the optimistic spin I could put on what Russ's situation. Yeah. But then the question is, who are those bad defensive guards when you get to the postseason? You know, what teams aren't yeah. going to be able to scheme against him? And that's really where it matters. And like, you know, Sam Amick and and I reported a story with Shams earlier, uh, you know, this fall, you know, that the Lakers really viewed Russ as a 16-game as a player, right? A 16-win player, um, meaning in the playoffs as opposed to the regular season, which, I mean, I think a lot of people would say is backwards. Russ is a guy who can make you good in the regular season, could maybe help you get, you know, get where you want to be in the, in, in, in the standings, but in the playoffs, does he become a liability? And, you know, in recent years, the answer has been yes. But I do think we have a lot of other stuff to get to, guys. So let's not just dwell on, on Russ. I mean, it's going to be a theme throughout the year. Um, I want to talk about the defense. I want to talk a little bit of top, top 75. Um, and I do want to hear from Jovan what you liked. What did you what did you see from game game one that you felt like was a building block? The Lakers have talked about this is going to be a process. You know, it's true for every team, but you think you got to think for this team of geriatrics that it's going to be even more true as they try to figure out all these new pieces. Were there things that you saw last night you said, okay, they can hang their hat on that as they figure out the defense, as they figure out the fit with Russ? There's three things that stood out to me. One, LeBron and AD are as dominant as ever. And I think that the only reason Lakers had a chance to win that game and were up through three quarters was because of how dominant those two were on both ends. It wasn't just the offense. Yes, uh, LeBron had 34, AD had 33, uh, and they both had 11 rebounds. But to me, it was the defense as well. And, And we saw that... This defense might be better than we think it's going to be, just because of those two in particular. And uh, you know, Dwight Howard ha- had some some good moments as well, but just their ability to put out the fires created by the perimeter group, I thought was really really impressive. And, and you just kind of forget uh, the the type of defensive game changers both can be, and really single handedly carrying certain lineups and, and certain units. So I think that was the first thing. The second thing to me was Kent Bazemore has established himself as the fourth most important Laker. And I know we kind of joked about it in previous. Hey, I I know the NBA.com lineup data isn't exact, but according to the NBA.com lineup data, he held Steph to three of 10 shooting. Uh, Steph did have six six of his 10 assists against Bazemore, but that to me was more of Bazemore just kind of getting in his jersey and, and making Steph more of a playmaker than a scorer. And I know Steph just kind of had an off night overall, and it wasn't completely due to Bazemore. But uh, I have a clip, and 
my story from last night where it's just Bazemore's hounding him full court. Uh, Steph gives the ball up, tries to relocate off a screen. Bazemore hangs with him, gets around the screen. Uh, Steph goes to the corner. Bazemore's in his face, contests the shot. Steph misses it. Like it's as good of you can, you know, as good as you can defend Steph realistically. So Bazemore to me has has really stood out as like he is the you know biggest kind of role player addition they've made. He, he seems to be a starting and closing lock at this point, and he's kind of this version of you know the season's KCP. And then the third thing to me, uh, and this is an important one, AD played 22 of his 39 minutes at center. So I know we didn't get the AD starting at center that everyone's been clamoring for and wanting, but he did play more than half of his minutes at center. Now, I think the one sort of issue with that is that most of those minutes came with Melo at the four versus LeBron at the four. I would like to see more LeBron and AD and just that lineup with three guards around those two, but uh, that's kind of nitpicking. I think AD playing more than half of his minutes at the five is a win for the Lakers. I thought you saw some of those benefits last night. So uh, I guess my three things are LeBron and AD looking great. Uh, Kent Bazemore's emergence and AD playing more than half his minutes at the five. Okay, gentlemen, let's see. One week before opening night, the Lakers played the Warriors at Staples Center and Avery Bradley played for the Warriors. It was a really tender moment. He got his uh, a little tribute video from the Lakers. Obviously, he was the starting shooting guard on the Lakers team that won the championship in 2020, except for he opted out of the bubble and did not participate in uh, the championship run post-March 10th, 2020. Well, fast forward a week, and Avery Bradley is back on the Lakers, not only on the roster, but was on the floor in the fourth quarter. And you talk about great defense on Steph Curry. Avery Bradley had some really nice moments. Slater, I got to get your perspective on the dynamic with Avery Bradley hopping the fence from the the Warriors, getting waived, getting claimed off waivers by the Lakers. You know, the Lakers bringing in a 15th guy, um, somebody they know who started a lot of games for them, was really effective in the fourth quarter. Was you know, very, I thought had there were some stretches where I thought maybe he was going to, going to be the reason the Lakers were going to win that game. He hit two corner threes, was really uh, was really hounding Steph on the ball. Um, Slater, what was the Warriors' reaction to seeing Avery Bradley out there being such, such a disruptive force? Why did they let him go? And based on what you know of him and this Lakers team, is he going to be a rotation regular for the Lakers now? So he arrived to the Warriors with a non-guaranteed camp invite and a strong backing from Draymond Green and Steph Curry. And that might shock Laker fans that how is he not on the Warriors roster if the main players wanted him? You know, uh, because yeah, that, that's, LeBron, that's not how it goes in L.A. Like, yes, LeBron, exactly. you want a guy like he's here. Yeah. Well, Draymond Green would go. Yeah. Why? Why is it working like that over there? Not over here. Um, but, you know, even to to the to the final day, those guys uh, were proponents of Avery Bradley because of the reasons you saw last night. Big game, big stage, super cold off the bench. Hasn't even been with a Lakers team, but you throw him out there. He, he's a veteran. He knows how to defend. Uh, he can bother a ball handler. And he, at least last night, he hit two big threes in the fourth quarter that kept the Lakers in it, at least temporarily. Uh, now, his problem with the Warriors, they had him in, er, in the rotation early in the preseason. He was like first guy off the bench for the first few games. Uh, they were in Portland for, for the debut. He came out and he had five wide open threes in his first five minutes on the court and he bricked all five. It looked terrible. Um, and the defense, what, like he didn't, you know, he wasn't 
tasked with guarding Steph Curry, but he was out there like in a game against Lillard. Now it was more preseason, so m- maybe he does thrive in a more like frantic environment. Um, but he just didn't impress much defensively. Uh, and you know, he's coming off a really bad season, uh, where he got traded from, it didn't really matter in Miami, then got traded to Houston and, and didn't do much. I mean, there's a reason the Warriors literally got him on a non-guaranteed training camp invite. Nobody was given him a guaranteed contract. So, um, from a Warriors perspective, they just didn't, front office ownership they didn't think he showed enough in training camp and in preseason and uh by the end they did they wanted gary payton more and gary payton who only played seven seconds last night he did get a steal in those seven seconds like he does bring more juice more life more more defensive just just burst and really uh potential because the warriors at least ownership front office are thinking with a more long view as you can see with their roster is much more layered with young guys and rookies and lottery picks compared to the lakers um, but, you know, to the last day, that was a kind of a concern of, should, you know, should they keep Bradley or not? Should they try to keep the veterans happy or not? And they cut him and it was like salt in the wound to, to, to Draymond and Steph to, to see the Lakers not only claim him, but drop him in a fourth quarter on opening night where he's bothering Steph Curry like he historically has. Steph Curry has called him maybe the best you know, defender he's ever gone against, the guy who bothers him the most back to the Boston days. Um, and uh, he hit two threes, which, you know, if he does hit that three and what he does point of attack defensive wise and what the Lakers don't have now that Caruso's gone, now that Caldwell right. Pope's gone. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that he's an every night rotation guy, but he's clearly a guy, Frank Vogel. Like that's a Frank Vogel player, isn't it? Well, and it makes it makes sense, particularly with uh, Trevor Ariza out into December and with Taylor Horton Tucker out, you know, for for four to six weeks or whatever his thing is, you know, the Lakers just don't have perimeter defenders. And I think there were a lot of people who follow this Lakers team who, as the roster was coming together, were saying, hey, where is Avery Bradley? Why are you not signing this guy now? Why are you not signing uh, Wesley Matthews? You know, guys who maybe aren't going to give you the offense they did earlier in their careers, but at the very least, you know, are going to compete defensively because the Lakers don't have a lot of those guys. So I think, you know, there was a little bit of a mea culpa implied can, can by the I Lakers. Can I ask you guys something? Yeah, I think it matters. We, yeah, I mean, it seems like it does. Was him Has not to. going to the bubble a like part? Like, was there some sour feelings with how that went down? My understanding is that you know, I mean, I, th- I think you would get a different answer from different people within the organization, um, and there are those who felt that way. Absolutely, um, you know, I mean, you can look at it that he quit on the team. Um, you know, I think that it's probably more nuanced than that. Uh, our understanding was that, you know, he, you know, he has a child who's immunocompromised, you know, and we didn't know a lot at that point in the pandemic. Um, you know, there was a lot of fear. I asked Frank Vogel that very question last night. And I asked if there was anything Avery needed to address with the team, because keep in mind, like this is a new Lakers team, but I think Avery is now the sixth guy on the team who was part of the championship team, the third, third guy to come back. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of guys who were around for that. And if, you know, if there were hard feelings within the locker room, you know, guys who would probably need to talk to about that. And Frank, you know, whether he's protecting Avery or it's just not a thing, said that, you know, there was a lot of fear around around the virus at the time. And everybody, you know, had a green light to make the choice that was best for them and that there were no hard feelings with Avery and that they welcomed him back with open arms. So, I mean, obviously, that's what you need to say now. It's possible you would have gotten a different answer, um, you know, two weeks ago. But it was, um, you know, obviously at this point, the Lakers needed him more than they needed to hold a grudge if there was a grudge to be held in the first place. But I do think that there were people in the organization who felt like, you know, Avery burned that bridge by not finding a way to, to stick it out through the bubble. 
Yeah, I, I think, honestly, he should take Malik Monk's minutes. Uh, I think what one of the... Spicy! <laughs> we, we, have like, we have this like lengthy pause, and it's like, oh man, Jovan doesn't even have anything to say. And then he comes in off the well, top row. <laughs> Malik Monk was getting preseason buzz? What happened? Malik Monk is awful defensively, and, and that oh, was... I went through the, the five minutes that they were outscored 22 to 5, and basically every breakdown was... Carmelo Anthony or Malik Monk or often both of them where whoever Malik was guarding that guy became the ball handler it was actually a lot of Jordan Poole which I I don't really get putting Malik on him but uh you know there was one play where uh it's a Jordan Poole auto Porter pick and pop uh or Porter pops Jordan Poole is already on fire at this point he's already cooking and Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony both leave him Go to Otto Porter. Jordan Poole has a wide open lane to the rim. Gets to the limb, finishes with a nice scoop layup. Uh, and then there's another play where uh, he's guarding Poole. Uh, another pick and kind of off ball screen for, for JTA. He goes to the rim. Mello completely leaves him. Goes to soft double Steph Curry. And JTA gets a lob. And it's just like, I think, honestly, I, I, I don't. I don't think like Melo and, and Malik Monk can really play together, especially with Russell Westbrook. Like the, the Lakers just have, and, and this was kind of my my thing going back to some of our conversations earlier in the offseason was with last season's team and, and really the season before, there was not a glaring defensive liability in the rotation, or at most there was one. But it is hard to put together Laker lineups right now where there are not at least two minus defenders. And even a guy like DeAndre Jordan isn't what he used to be in terms of his rim protection and paint defense. So I just think that I know they're compromised right now. They've got multiple guys out. I think Trevor Reza obviously helps. Taylor Horton Tucker should help. Uh, Kendrick Nunn is a better defender than Malik Monk. So some of these things will just naturally uh, work themselves out once guys are back. But at the same time, that stretch in between the third and the fourth with the bench unit uh, they just got destroyed by Golden State's bench, and, and I was kind of surprised Frank didn't pull the plug on that lineup earlier because it, it was a quick, again, four or five minutes, 22 to five, boom, boom, boom. Uh, the Warriors just were getting layup after layup, and a lot of it was just Malik Monk can't really defend, and, and neither can Carmelo Anthony, and uh, those two in particular are, are liabilities at this point. So I, I don't really, I, again, Lakers don't have other options, so I don't know, you know, you can't really reduce those guys' minutes necessarily, but... I could see Avery Bradley getting more time over Malik uh, with the way he defended last night. The Lakers are currently without four rotation players due to injury, right? Kendrick Nunn did not play. Wayne Ellington did not play with a uh, with a hamstring. And they're obviously missing Ariza and THT. Those are four guys who I think you're going to see in even a tighter rotation uh, over the course of the season. Those guys are going to play. Jovan, is there one of those guys who you feel like addresses who would salvage you know, a better defensive performance if they are able to come back from injury? Trevor Ariza, I think, is the guy I look at again that, that was kind of the guy we looked at as this team's probably going to start small they're, they're going to start 80 at the five Ariza at the four and, and LeBron at the three and I think once he went out as we've discussed like that changed the identity of this team I don't think they have the luxury of starting small anymore because the starting small is going with Melo who I thought kind of settled for some some poor shots last night and then defensively was a bit of a train wreck so he does help with the floor spacing and, and transition threes and stuff like that but I don't think he should be starting and, and that wouldn't really make sense so could you Start another going super guard? small. You could go super small, but that's where I think Wayne Ellington would probably make sense. Where you yeah, go, and he's uh, like, he, there's, it's a very minor thing, right? He could like play in the next week, right? Yeah, he, he should yeah, be back yeah. soon. He, he was questionable to play in the opener, and so and same, same with none. So, don't you guys think they should 
do that. I mean, like, you know, maybe it's because I'm covering, I'm covering a Warriors team that now is comfortable playing like, you know, nobody o- lineups with nobody over six foot six, essentially when they go JTA and Draymond. But I mean, like LeBron at the four and 80 at the five, you're not a small team. Like it's, you, we say super small because yeah, it kind of is, if it, it, but it's not really, I mean, LeBron is a modern day four and Davis is a modern day five. And they're to me much more dangerous like that to start. And then, you know, you do get your Dwight like thumping minutes off the bench and Deandre Jordan's on ice. And, and that's how that's to me that where they're at their best. Well, and I think that's where they're going to get Slater. Like I think the DeAndre thing is going to have a uh, is going to have a a life arc. Like we're going to see we're going to see it's it's going to be we're going to see it rise in the East and set in the West maybe by like New Year's. You know what I mean? And maybe that's when you know once Ariza gets back on the floor and if he's able to contribute to the level I think the Lakers were hoping when they signed him. Um, it's also possible Trevor Ariza plays like 20, 20 games for this team, um, but. I think that they're going to get there would be my guess. Like I, I know they love that. I know they're, they love the idea of being big and just being able to, you know, bully teams. And that does work. I, I mean, it's not a bad way to start. It doesn't, it's not a bad way to start, but like it just, it, it's not something you can lean on throughout games. So, um, yeah, and you probably get away with it just with Dwight's bench minutes, frankly. Also, like, just thinking about watching the game, I was like, like, when they're big and they're bullying, like, that's kind of LeBron and AD. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, like, yeah, I understand DeAndre Jordan's out there, but what's he really doing? Like, the Warriors got bullied last night because AD bullied him and LeBron bullied him. And they'll still be on the floor in these small lineups, and I put small in quotes because they have two monsters out on the floor still, you know? Yeah. Um, guys, we're going to, before we get out of here, I do want to talk about the top 75. The league has started rolling it out. Um, we started seeing names yesterday. Um, you know, I'm old enough to remember when the top 50 list came out in 1996 and I've still got a book somewhere in storage of all those dudes. Uh, some of them who are not going to be in the top 75, but we know the Lakers have arguably six hall of famers on their roster right now. Rajon Rondo, I think is kind of the swing guy. Does he get in? Does he need another championship to get in? I think it's debatable. But how many top 75 guys do you think this Lakers team has? Are, is, are there any – because, like, there's really, I think, five guys who are in the mix, right? I don't think Rondo's a top 75 guy. I don't think there's any argument for that. But is there any argument that any one of Carmelo Anthony, uh, Russell Westbrook, or Anthony Davis or Dwight Howard is not a top 75 player? LeBron obviously is. Is there any chance one of those four isn't? Um, I think Davis will be. I think that, you know, unless, like, injuries really derail um, – Carmelo, I don't know. Um, Westbrook, I don't know. He's borderline to me. Yeah. He's the 10th leading scorer in NBA history. Like, it's the, the, the name of the game is to put the ball in the basket, and he's done it more than all but nine players. The name of the game is to win. And he ain't yeah, I, I think that's that's where... It's it's not called win ball. It's called basketball. Like, wasn't... Like, Dominique... I'm going to let that one marinate for a second. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Uh, Dominique was left off the original top 50 list, right? Like, yeah. that to me is kind of where I... Like Melo's in that type of, he might be like the modern day Dominique. I, I know, obviously, his, his ultimately his career, but I also think there, there's an element of like longevity that this era has that going back like 20 years, those guys didn't necessarily have. Like you're usually done 10 to 13, 13 years, years in, yeah. in, in into your career. So, uh, I, I mean, I would say borderline doesn't mean he's not. I, I'm just saying like if if we're yeah. taking most of the top 50. And then you're adding 25 guys over the past 25 years. I mean, we, we could kind of 
bounce around. We, we like, have a list, right? Like the athletic has a list coming yeah. out. Is is yeah. Carmelo on it? I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Like I know the answer. I just don't know if I'm allowed to say. I don't want to. I don't want to. I think you could. I think you could reveal if he is. Or we're not revealing rankings. He's he's, he's number one on the athletics list. <laughs> oh, okay. That now that would be a take. He falls. He falls between uh, one and seventy-five on the athletics list. He does. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, then he clearly. I, I think that's a better answer to me than any answer I can give because I have not been sitting here sifting right. through like who should be 65, 66, that type right. of range. But you know, he's he he'd be deep on that list for me probably in that sixty to seventy-five pocket. Um, he would be ahead of Dwight for me and probably ahead of Westbrook for me. Um, but but those three are all kind of somewhat in the same tier. Although I think Dwight is separate from the other two. Yeah, Dwight Howard is Dwight Howard's a three-time Defensive Player of the Year, eight-time All Star, and uh, you know an NBA champion. And at one point was the most dominant big man in the game for an extended stretch of time. I mean, I think I think he's in. To me, the one that I think actually is probably most debatable because I. I do think Mello's in. Although my, my caveat on Mello would be, I think so much of what makes Mello great and made is makes him a first ballot Hall of Famer is not what he's done in the NBA. Even you're talking about a collegiate champion and then the 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 Team USA stuff. He's probably the greatest player and greatest contributor to Team USA um, in in its history. And so you know that sort of fills out the picture for Mello as a basketball legend and as a as a Hall of Famer. Uh, it doesn't really apply to a list like the NBA's top 75. So you do, I, I do think if you're thinking about it critically, you have to remove some of this other stuff that we consider part of the Carmelo Anthony resume. Um, but Anthony Davis is the one I would say is, is not there yet. Right? Like if, if you're, if you're going to say one of those guys isn't, and I think, I think AD will be on the list ultimately too, but you know, has won a championship as the number two player. He wasn't the finals MVP. Um, although I would argue he was the Lakers' best player in the postseason that year in the bubble. Um, hasn't won a defensive player of the year. Hasn't won an MVP. Um, you know, is it just too early for AD? He's 28 years old. Um, has he has he kind of checked the boxes that you need to see for a guy to become, you know, to, to, to earn that kind of distinction? I mean, to me, that would be the only, the only knock is that he just hasn't done enough of it yet. That's fair. I, I think, to me, all five guys are going to make it and, and, and probably should. Uh, I think, I mean, I think you can make the case that AD winning as the number two and, and really at times a one, a one B situation with, with he and LeBron, that is more impressive than anything Russ Mello or Dwight have done in their NBA careers. Like, I, I mean, I, I know like Russ won an MVP, Dwight won multiple defense. I mean, Dwight also led a team to the finals and you know, lost to the Lakers, uh, and, and Mello top 10 score of all time. But like, to me, uh, Anthony Davis, I mean, that he was, you know, the supercharged version of Pau Gasol and, and, you know, kind of what Pau provided for, for Kobe, like AD was doing that on a different level. And um, I, I guess I'm just making a Lakers comparison, but I think to me, it's just like that. Again, to, to me, the, the name of the game is winning and AD doing that as such an important part. And, you know, maybe the Lakers won the title this year and all those guys add another ring and, and, you know, it kind of looks better when we're look zooming out and it's like Russ getting this ring would be like Gary Payton getting his ring with Miami or Melo getting the ring would be similar. So I think that's kind of the thing is like those guys individually put up great numbers, but I think if anything, you, you can kind of like look at their postseason careers and kind of be a little disappointed with the way, 
Russ and, and Mello have performed and, and the way their teams have performed. So uh, great individual numbers, but I think they're, they're I mean, those are, those are probably two of the more maligned superstars of the past 20 years in terms of how legit their, you know, uh, success has been kind of translating to the postseason and stuff like that. So uh, I think all five get in. I think you can make cases for and against all of them. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, because I, I, I mean, I, I, if you look at the last 20 years, there's been so many great players like, you know, Kobe wasn't on that list. LeBron, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, Dirk Nowitzki, like that 25 extra names adds up quickly uh, to the point that I, I think some of these guys are borderlands. I think you're going to see a lot more uh, guys uh, get get pushed off the original top 50 list than you than, than you might even expect. I mean, you know, there's a lot of Paul Arizons on that list. Which and stinks, just, by the way. Imagine making the top 50 and then getting kicked off for a top 75. But it's, but it's, it's, a, but it's a different list. It's a different yeah. entity. There's been a, there's been a quarter century, century of basketball when players, when the game has evolved in a way that, you know, you couldn't have imagined, you know, 25 years pre, prior. You know, you've had, you've had younger, more dynamic, more athletic players coming through the game. You know, I don't think half. I don't. I, I'm just going to be curious to see how many of the top 70. This is actually the thing we're probably most interested in. How many of the top 75 are not were not original top 50 guys? And if it's 40, then that means that you've lost 15 guys from the first list. Like that seems maybe just a little high, but maybe you lose like 12 guys from the first list, and like you're still a top 50 player. You're still a. Pardon me. <coughs> you're still one of the 50 greatest players in the NBA's first 50 years, that hasn't changed. That hasn't been taken away from you. You didn't get worse because the game evolved and new players came through. So um, I don't I don't know that I, I... It shouldn't be seen as a slight if a guy doesn't make the top 75 who was a top 50 player 25 years ago. Um, but that's just, that's just me. All right, guys. Anything else before we get out of here? Or do we retire the Forum Club for the week and pick it back up next week once we have a little bit more of a sample size and Jovan's lineup data is a little more complete? <laughs> Lakers sucks. I, I'm going to be honest, Slater. I thought you were just going to drop in and say, Lakers suck. Like, that's really what I thought I, you were saying. Wow. Lakers <laughs> suck, I, man. No. <laughs> no. Uh, Lakers Suns uh, coming up, then they get the Grizzlies, and then the schedule lightens up. That's when you see the Houstons and the Clevelands of the world, uh, really, for the That's next That's where weekend. Westbrook feasts. He's going to feast for sure. I'm going to end this pod on an optimistic note. I was very encouraged by what I saw from LeBron and AD, and I, I think there have been some questions of, you know, LeBron, age 37, 19 season. He, he's had two major injuries the past three years. AD had this down year last year, worst numbers since his rookie year. Like, what can we really expect from these guys this season? And I think based on everything we saw in the preseason and then confirmed with game one, uh, those two are still the best duo in the NBA, in my opinion. And uh, they give the Lakers a chance to win any game on any night when they're clicking like that. And uh, I know the Russ fit has its questions. Lakers are dealing with injuries. They got stuff to figure out with the rotation. But macro uh, if those two are playing at this level and potentially even better, I, I think they could beat anybody. Ron's jumper looked great last night. He had that one um, like fall away rainbow between. one. You talking about? The, was that the one he dribbled twice between his legs, step back? Yeah, I think just so. like, oh my god, I was that I was I was in on the Lakers on in that exact moment. LeBron looked ten years younger. Yeah, he he looked fast too. Fat, you know, in the preseason, I thought he looked a little bit. I was like, you know, maybe a step has been taken, but he looked fast last night. For Bill Slater and myself, thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back later in the week after the 
Suns game. Uh, we will be back sometime next week. We, we don't know. The date might be uh, revolving depending on the week. But thank you guys for listening.